Welcome to the Go Low Show, where it's about golf, grit, and your pursuit of greatness. My name is Kyle Olderink, and I am your co-host, along with my man, John Weir, mental game coach extraordinaire. And in this podcast, we're going to show you everything that you need to know about how to go low in your golf game. And we're excited to bring you that show right now. Expect anything different? Is it his time? Yeah! All right, it's time to go. Sam Weber, welcome to the show. How you doing? Uh, great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, we have obviously a little information on you, but we just want to dive in and we know you are on the professional grind. Yes. Uh, yes, that's correct. Playing mini tours and uh, trying to get status and just working on my game. How long you been at that? Uh, I've been a pro for four years or almost four years now. Um, and then, uh, I mean, working on my game for a long, long time, always trying to get better ever since I started playing competitively, you know, when I was 12, I would say 10, 12. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Working with Mike Bender for the last five years. Um, I thought your name sounded familiar, Sam. <laughs> I know I heard it through the network before. Yeah. Okay. Old stomping grounds down there. Well, that's good. If you if you had heard my name before, I guess that's a good sign. <laughs> um, so Sam, tell us tell us about, you know, just even this past year, just some tournaments, you know, what you did well, some things you're struggling with. Um this past year, I guess some of the things I've done well I realize um that uh, like cutting certain things out, really focusing on um, uh, separating practice and play is beneficial to me. Um, some things I need to improve on for sure, becoming more consistent and actually having like a really defined uh, practice routine, uh, set of thoughts that are like beneficial to me on the golf course. And then process which is kind of why we're here i guess um but so those are the things i'm trying to figure out right now and how how they'll help me progress well take us into that like what is what specifically are you trying to figure out um well first of all i mean after going through some of the mental golf type programs i realized i had to really define like what kind of player i'm gonna be and like, I know, for instance, that I'm not going to be Dustin Johnson. I'm not going to hit the ball 350. Um, but which, which to me means that I need to zone in on wedges and short game and putting. Right. Um, so that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out. And then once I, once I figured that out or pinpointed that, then that helped me to, uh, schedule my practice in a way that kind of like prioritizes wedges first then putting you know uh versatility as far as like shaping shots things like that um and that's kind of what what i've been doing basically for the last couple of months is 
getting more and more specific about what I need to be working on. So what's holding you back from taking that leap and making it to the next level? Um, I think it's just mostly mental and then bringing that mental side out onto the golf course. Um, one thing for me that, that I tend to do a lot is like, uh, I get off to poor starts quite a bit. And then I also tend to worry about the final product instead of just plodding along and playing the round. And just, just for clarity, you are an ISFJ, correct? Yes, that's correct. Gotcha. So John, you want to dive in and well, I'd that? say probably with some of the poor starts and, and closing out rounds is probably related to the same thing, at least for your personality type. I think there's too much internal emphasis on having to get a score, um, too much kind of analysis there towards that task. And then it kind of gets you out into the future a little bit more worried about the outcomes and, and producing that. I would probably set, think that that would start early in the round you kind of then settle in and then the score of the final product, like you said, starts becoming a lot more obvious and that just gets you further and further away from kind of staying to what you need to do to be successful. Uh, I like what you said about getting specific, you know, um, that's a huge thing. I think having that specificity inside of your routine and your shot process is super key as well. Um, so it's really kind of, honing in on and defining those steps. And I would think like early on because of the, maybe it's a, obviously a speculation, but I think because of that internal pressure to score, um, what ends up happening is, is you're staying a lot more target side over the ball, worrying about where it's going to go, what those results are, rather than really defining a specific start line, finish line, honing into what that feel is and settling into what we kind of call your swing station or being player side. Um, I'm not sure how that's, I can't see you on the video right now. So, uh, how's that resonate with you? Is that some of the things that are kind of going on early in the round? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Kind of like, uh, looking out at the course when I'm over the ball and worrying about this hazard, this side of the hole, that side, you know, where I want to miss, where I don't want to miss, um, yeah, and I bet when you're playing really well, Sam, it's probably the opposite. You probably are pretty clear on a specific thing to accomplish. So when you're entertaining a lot of those options or you're looking out at, at a dress and you're seeing a lot of those things, it's actually your intuitive function. You're looking out and you're seeing what could happen, what if it goes this way. And what that's doing in your brain is it's creating a lot of cortisol release. So it's going to restrict the motor cortex. But if you go back into your mind and start thinking about when you were playing really well, you probably had a simple feel. You're probably looking more through like a narrow focus, seeing only what you wanted to accomplish. And then even at a dress, probably looking less out at the target and just more engaged with what you're doing. Um, I would recommend working a lot more on some of the intermediate spots and starting your ball over that too, than getting too caught up out at the target. Um, I caddy for Austin and whenever we were starting to really test out, um, you know, the sensing side of things, Austin's an ISTJ, very similar. And he was also, you know, just getting too outcome based, too out into the future. And we, we did an exercise where I literally stood in front of him and he couldn't engage the target. He could only see his intermediate spot and focus like in what we call the swing station or being player side. And we went out to Heathrow Country Club um, out by the Bender Academy, and he went, I think it was six, five or six under, 
average proximity to the hole was like eight feet and he hit all the fairways. So the target for your type of player um, isn't as big of a priority as what I believe it's made out to be. Um, I think that that's the thing that brings a lot of challenge. So one correction I'd kind of make in, in your process would be less energy going out to the ball, maybe, or to the target, like 20%, basically to check your alignment. And after that, beginning to forget about that and settle more into your body and more into what that move needs to be. Okay. Um, do you think that if I were to pick like an intermediate target, something much closer to the golf ball, just knowing that that's lined up with my ultimate, you know, target, I wouldn't even have to look out at the target. I could just use that intermediate instead. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, it might take a little bit of an adjustment to getting used to that and, and building the trust, but a hundred percent. I mean, look at uh, guys like Xander Shoffley within a 10 second routine, he engages the target, maybe a second. Um, if you watch Justin Rose, even Tiger Woods, people think Tiger was engaging and reacting to the target. He really isn't. If you watch where his eyes and his vision are going, he looks at the target and he sets in and he checks his, his target, but now he's focused only on his intermediate. Uh, but again, really quick checks. Um, for your type, the longer you're staying out at the target, the more it's going to open up possibility thinking. So the intermediate spot, again, it's, it's, I don't be really believe golf's a reactionary game. I, th I, I think um, you're not really reacting to the target because you're not even engaging it with your eyes that much. I think the purpose of the target for your routine is, at least at address, is simply for your alignment. And once you know you're aligned and, and you can use it even to the intermediate spot, we can begin to forget about it now. For sensors like yourself, they're very successful when they're working a linear type of process. Um, for example, like if you were going to, you know, make a meal, if you had a, a recipe and you knew those steps to follow, all you would do is follow the steps. You wouldn't worry about the outcome. And, and that's the way the sensing mind works. And so um, once you're set to the target and you execute this move, by physics and by nature, the ball has to be traveling the trajectory and will, will result at your target for the most part. I mean, Austin and I use a simple formula we call all the time, one plus one always equals two. And that's basically alignment plus our simple move and settling into that will always equal our result. And what we found is, is the less you can bring to that green zone or your performance, the better. That's how it's consistent and it's repeatable. You know, the top level performers, they don't have a complex type of process to be following. They're bringing in the bare minimum for excellent performance. And that, that's that one plus one for you. The challenge whenever we're starting to get off on the course is we're entertaining too much of the answer. And that even includes just like with the progression of the round. We're too far trying to learn the answer rather than staying to those equations or those simple one plus ones and adding them up through the round. So okay. I hope that brings a little more clarity to it. And yeah, intermediates is great because... Um, the things that I have learned when you really observe the strong sensors and it's your number one function, um, this plus this equals that and, and hone in on those, those details or the linear aspects. And then we can know, Hey, we can relax because the subconscious can handle that outcome. It's already determined in our decision-making. Okay. Um, what about, what about putting transferring like the idea of process to, um, just to a routine on the green. 
Yeah, a couple of things I like to do with people, especially with the sensors, is a great thing is, is to reverse visualize, actually. Um, it gives you a clear, specific path. It starts with the ball in the hole, and you reverse visualize while you're at address. But it's the same concept uh, with the putting. If I'm aimed proper on my line, right, and I make my stroke with the, over my intermediate spot or my starting line, I'm going to start the ball on, and it's really about matter of speed and read at that point. Um, who won the Masters? And he said all he did was start the ball online um, and get his first foot started online. Oh. Gosh, why is that name slipping my mind? But it would be the same thing, Sam. We're, we're working away from the target. We're, we're bringing it back more into the locus of control. So again, that simple one plus one makes sense and it can keep you player side. I'm, I'm aligned right. If I start it online or I finish my stroke, the ball is going to go, go to where I want it to. Um, but I like the reverse visualizing for sensors because it takes away the options. It takes away and eliminates. Um, what if I leave it short? What if it's long? What if it's left? It's right. Um, you're kind of setting the GPS and bringing that one specific line back and it makes a big imprint in the subconscious. Okay. Um, so then one thing I do specifically with my putting is I, I get up there and I take my practice strokes when I'm looking at the hole mm -hmm. for speed. And, uh, I mean, would that be considered like being a little bit too, uh, target dominant or, um, it's not necessarily because in that situation, you're still gathering data and, and you're feeling out one of the variables. Um, as long as you're bringing it into stroke at address um, versus, you know, thinking too much about the ball in the hole or different things like that. You know, statistics show that when you're visualizing, though, you'll have a, you know, uh, any player could have like a 30% bump if they're visualizing positive images. The reason I like the reverse visualizing for the sensors is, is you start with that end goal. You're putting that positive mental image when that ball's in the hole. Now we're tracing it back and you're bringing your awareness back to where it needs to go. Um, at address that, that's all I would do, but I don't mind you feeling that out like that while you're looking at the hole. If it starts bringing in a lot of questions or possibilities um, or, or like any doubt, then I would start taking my mind down, focusing more on feeling that speed out as you're normally going to putt it. When it comes to your final rehearsal stroke, though, I would do that the way you want to perform. So okay. tap the ground, complete your stroke, head steady, and then step in and address it. Okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, what about what about like skill or training skill and competitiveness just uh, overall in my practice? What, what are the best ways to do that for my uh, personality type? Well, so essentially skill is just ball control. That's how I define that. And so in your, in your ball striking, you know, as a sensor, you still want to do that a little just to make sure you have your, your toolbox. Like, can I hit a high fade? Can I hit a low draw? You know, you're just basically checking off the boxes. Do I have control over this ball? You know, if there's a shot you can't hit, you might want to try to incorporate that, but you're still trying to bring that back to, you know, your player side focus and how you do that. So like Tiger Woods, John and I were just talking about recently, feels all of his shots in his hands. Like that's his steering wheel, basically, I think is how he defines that, right? So, you know, he, if he's going to hit a draw, he's just feeling his hands turn over. 
type thing. So it's, it's knowing you can hit these shots and having that incorporated in, in short game, it's, can you control the trajectory and spin and putting it's, can you control the speed? I mean, essentially that's what it is, is can I control the ball? Like I allude to technique is basically just hitting the ball solid skill is do you actually have the control over the ball and those variables to hit those different shots? Competitiveness is your test. It's your measuring stick of where you're at. And this is wildly important to, to one, build confidence, but two, to really expose yourself. So for example, in the, my academy, I start everybody with 30 made putts from three to five feet. And depending at your level, I'll set a certain amount of misses. So I'll give people three misses if they're at a good level or two misses, or if they can do it within two misses, then I bump it to 40. But essentially, I'm trying to always elevate that goal. I mean, if you can make 30 putts, randomized three to five feet, full process, working on your player side move, and you can do that and only miss two times, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's high-level putting, and that's going to transfer pretty well into pressure. But I think something that's important, and John and I preach this a lot, is that there's always going to be a dip in performance under pressure. So your standards you set in these measuring sticks and practice are wildly important to know where you're at. So for example, if you're 99% made three to five foot putts and under pressure, that might be 95, 94, you know, cause again, we just can't simulate those effects of stress and practice as much as we try. I mean, even playing buddies for money, but it's just, nothing will be as similar to having your name on leaderboards and having that judgment and the emotions and all that stuff behind it. So you know, we want to have those measuring sticks in every single thing you do. So if it's ball striking and you're working on just technique, well, can I 10 in a row solid with my player side move? And then I'm adding variable targets and I'm doing it walking in from behind the ball. Yeah. And I would okay. also add in is, um, you know, taking your competitiveness to the course and, and jacking up the, the challenge of the golf course. I mean, one of the things that I do with all my pros is, is we try to make our practice more demanding and more, more strenuous than, than normal or even a competitive tournament round. Now, you can't obviously simulate the same pressure as Kyle described, but we're trying to take it as close as we can, and we actually make it more demanding. So let's say, how do we hone in on our process and really lock it down? Well, as you define those things, like you need to be clear and specific with your target. You need to be choosing a club that you are feeling a peace with inside um, and then connecting with the feel staying player side. The way you really test where that's at is by going out and doing things like eliminating the rough. So, or roughs out of bounds. Um, if you miss your approach shot and you miss the green, it's a plus one penalty. Um, having drawbacks on first miss after your first missed putts. These things are all ways of making your practice a lot more demanding. And then you set some sort of goal to go and achieve. It could even be a number that's also going to internally jack up some of that pressure during those situations. And this is the way you can really train your consistency and keeping your mind right. Because, I mean, I would take out like Austin and say, you know, I want you to try to break par, you know, under these rules. We actually had a kid that we did under qualifying circumstances, shoot in the 60s, back to back days under really, really demanding things. And his thing was, he goes, you know, what I did was I just stayed to my keys and I, I worked it. And it would be the same for you because let's say we eliminate the, your, your miss off the tee. Well, now that brings them, well, what if I miss it there? Or the same types of stress tendencies that we can face on the course that will make us get more target side. Uh, what it does is it helps you to build trust in, in refining those steps, staying player side, trusting your move and your intermediate spot, 
And that's a great way to train the competitiveness. It's also a wonderful way when you go on to the tournament now, you have, you, you've learned during your practice, right? Now we're going in to compete. Now we've used to feeling some of these types of pressures and, and it's going to lead to a lot more success out there. Plus, if you have a mistake, you hit the rough or you're a foot off the fairway, you go, oh, no big deal. I don't have a penalty. Um, you know, you've been doing drawbacks with your putting. So you've made those four or five footers consistently to save your pars in your practice. When you see them on the course, your brain, the way your mind works is naturally going to begin recalling this and it's going to fuel a lot of success going into tournament rounds. Okay. So like, especially with uh, leg putting, like, like I do my 18 holes of mostly leg putting, but some shorter putts, uh, pulling it back like a putter length on mm -hmm. uh, every putt, things like that. Yeah, do that on the course with some of the members behind you, and they watch you take a tap out, a tap in, and turn it into a five footer, four footer. Uh, you talk about pressure; you're going to have them hollering and yelling at you, and all that stuff. Trust me, it gets the heart rate up, and it teaches you to settle in and trust your skills. So, as you start getting more of a grasp on your mental golf type and your process, you're trying to put yourself in stressful situations that you encounter. And then practice staying to what your dominant functions are or working that plan. Um, that's how it really transfers over, you know, to the course. Um, but yeah, drawbacks all the time. And even, um, you know, test yourself like that. I, I tell all my players, if you're not playing for money or you're not in a tournament, you should be doing drawbacks after every miss. Um, the ability to make a four to six footer and own that space is crucial to going to tour level. Um, you, you got to own it. I, I forget what year it was, but Tiger had, I want to say like 500 putts inside of five feet and he made every one of them. Um, and that, that's, that's a big, uh, score saver right there, but you don't learn that by doing tap-ins in, in inconsequential putts. So I always like my players to make quality pars all the time, quality putts, finish it off from that four to six range. You'd be surprised at how much confidence that gives you when you go into tournaments. And then again, your tournament gets easier, Sam, because you've now reintroduced tap-ins. So now you're not thinking about lag. You're thinking about holding that lag putt. And then you leave yourself tap-ins and you got little simple finishes all day long and it's stress-free pars. And, and you're going to cash some of those longer ones too with that type of practice. Okay. Uh, what about like speed or uh, like having time restrictions? Like one thing I've started doing is uh, uh, like setting a blind, like 15 minute timer and just trying to see how many six footers I can make going through my process in that 15 minutes. Um, and for me, it kind of creates like a sense of urgency, especially when I know I'm kind of getting close to the end. Yeah, I love that type of drill like that. I think that's great um, because, again, if it's invoking some of that stress and pressure, then it, it keeps you grooved into your process. And doing dedicated process work like that's important in your practice. Not a lot of players do that. They, they overlook it and they, they shortchange themselves with that. And then they wonder why it's not showing up on the course. So, yeah, you devoting 15 minutes to that and putting and, and honing in the full process with it, I think that's excellent. Uh, we're about to release two in the advanced shot process manual, um, a timer you can also use in your shot process to train your timing and do dedicated 30 minute practice. Um, so that's going to be coming out too, as like an add on for people who have that. Uh, but I like that a lot. I think that that's excellent, Sam. Okay. 
Uh, do you guys have any any recommendations as far as like just the overall structure of like a basic range session? Like I'm going 45 minutes of block practice where I alternate between like the impact block and hitting shots. So working on my mechanics and then I go 30 minutes of wedges um, where I have a goal, which right now is like hitting eight numbers plus or minus one yard in 30 minutes. And I have to switch clubs every two balls. And then, and then I'm going to irons and woods and just working on shaping shots and varying trajectories. And that's kind of the same thing, having to switch every two balls. Um, do you guys have any like recommendations as far as adding to that goes for structure? Well, let me ask you this, Sam, what are you accomplishing by doing that? Uh, just by structuring it that way or those various elements? Well, so, I mean, I, the first question, and this could be, it could be a really good structure, but how is that helping you perform better? Um, well, I mean, I place my emphasis on wedges, so I think that that that's just helping me like really dial in yardages, things like that without really like getting used to hitting one club all the time. And the know, same with what's that? I was just going to say, I mean, do you know definitively that that's transferring to the course in your scores? Um, no, I guess I don't really know definitively if it is, it seems like it is. I think my wedges are definitely better, but, um, I mean, I guess that that's a good question because it kind of, you know, I don't really have a tool or a concrete way of measuring if that's working. And, and that's really the kind of the answer and the secret, in my opinion, is just knowing, you know, I look at practice like it's preparation, you know, it's studying for the test. So we have to know that this is creating a result. Otherwise, we're just kind of beating the drum. So I think the structure is good, but we got to have a measuring stick in place to know exactly like, is this actually paying off? So I'm too impatient <laughs> to do stuff where I don't know that it's working, if that makes sense. So I'm always looking at everything I do. Is this actually creating the results? And if it's not, what do I need to be doing better? So, you know, again, kind of going back to stats on the golf course, you know, what's your proximity with those and understanding if you're not getting in a scoring position, then what's the issue? So like for wedges, is it contact? Is it launch angles, a spin rate? You know, now we know exactly what we need to fine tune, but if we don't have these measuring sticks in place, which is why I like to really load practices up on scorable, measurable things. Um, and again, at Bender's Academy, I mean, you have everything in the world. I mean, that dude's done such an incredible job out there of creating those things where you can get on those, um, the wedge game. He's got the launch angle thing. So I know specifically, like if I'm not getting it close, I know my launch angles off, you know, now I'm going to go see if I can hit 15 in a row with my player side move through that launch gate and get and work on your clock system or whatever you may do. So, I love what you're doing. I love the variability, but my, my push for you would be, can we actually like put something in place, especially as a J to know exactly like this is transferring to the course. And if it's not, what specifically needs to get better? So like going into putting, right. If my, if my distance control off is off, is it contact? Is it length swing? Is it tempo? So we know specifically what area do we actually need to tighten up? And then we can actually go back and measure that. Okay. My tempo is better. Now let me test this again. And again, I know my player side move is just focusing on breathing down or John's got some great 
suggestions for player side moves with that putting. But, you know, again, now we're just being really evaluative and specific instead of just following a, a routine, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I would just, uh, I'll just second on that. I mean, what's the, you know, people think that practice and learning are the same things, but practice is working with the intention to learn. It's kind of like studying. We study with the intention to learn, but re- learning is actually retention. And so you, I like your structure too. And I like the variability in the shots. I just second on Kyle's point is you have to find some way of having a test in there so that you can see how much you're retaining from your efforts. Uh, without the test, we can just be spinning our wheels or working more on things than what we need to do. So I would just bring in some games or some measures like Kyle had said, because that way you're learning, you're seeing what you're retaining. And that's the key thing. Now, if you're not retaining a lot from that style of practice or hitting those measures, then you know, there's needs to be some adjustments that, that could be made. Um, but always remember like practice doesn't equate to learning. Um, your, your test or what you're retaining will show how much you've learned from that. And by having that as a part of it, it's a real good eye opener or an indicator of what you're doing. Okay. Okay. So you're saying maybe add to my practice a little bit by uh, like keeping what I have, say where I hit, like where I'm varying shot shape and trajectory, but then at the end, maybe say separate like 20 balls, come up with a game or a point system with those 20 balls where say I'm like punishing over curving or rewarding hitting the correct correct shape Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Yeah. And Bender's setup there is so useful for it because you have your zones, right? So like I would use those poles out there on his range and things um, or something, even if you're not there, you can imagine those pole setups or the driver zone Uh, use those as great barometers too. I mean, those are like essentially shooting at the targets. So yeah, bring in some sort of competitive game. Um, you could be in the zone, you get a point out of the zone, you lose a point. Um, it could be with the ball flight in the zone. That's a double. If you hit the zone, it's only one without the ball flight. So you could create some measure and then test yourself because just having that high score or something to go and shoot for you, you're increasing that competitive pressure in there. It's adding a little more juice to your practice. And then again, you get to see where you're at. You get to see if you're retaining that work on the range or the work on the shape. Um, and it's in a more of a game setting. So it kind of brings it full circle and gives you then a measurement. And then next day at practice, if you like that, that setup, break your score or commit to staying there as an exit drill until that score is broken. Like exit drills are awesome for pressure. You know, you can't go home until you accomplish this goal. And what that does, again, it's going to evoke stress, especially it's getting dark out, all that stuff. Uh, it's going to force you to learn your key so that you can be successful and get out of there. It's going to require you to get back into being player side or whatever it is you're working on so that you can wrap it up. And an exit drill like that's another great way to just kind of test your retention. Okay. Uh, what if you get into a situ- situation where you can't finish your exit drill for some reason? <laughs> well, you, you chalk that up as a loss, right? And, and next day out, you try to finish it. You know, it's like, uh, but I think Bender has lights. You know, if he likes you, I think he'll let you le- leave the lights on for a little bit and, uh, and grind away. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's what I would consider. I'd consider it, you know, it's a loss. 
uh, tally what you were able to do and then go back. And, and then again, you still have another measure right there and, mm-hmm. and work to kind of break that to get out of there. But that it's a great way to end your practice. And, and I also like doing it like with a putting drill, you know, like some of your short putts. Um, it goes back to my days in basketball. It's like we did all of our free throws after like a half hour of suicides, you know, why? Because it's simulating fourth quarter. Um, everything's running down. Your body's beat. Your legs are beat. You know, can you drain those many free throws? And then you get to go hit the showers. Um, I like that with the putting, too, because at the end of the day, you're on your 72nd hole. You're tired. You're fatigued. You're mentally, physically drained. Can you can you drain those putts? Keep your focus. Um, so I, I like those as great exit drills, too. You know, making some clutch putts before you go home. Okay. And then what about having like a, like right now I'm, I'm pretty much just doing like the same schedule just about every day, as far as practice goes, is that a good thing or is that something I should try to change up? You know, I'll just answer this briefly and then Kyle can jump in. Um, I think that you want to have like, you know, 20% of your time, maybe being some challenge stuff, you know, where there's some variety and, and some variability in what you're doing. Um, you're working towards that. It's kind of like Google and their, their, their corporate setup. They gave their employees 20% of their time to work on creative aspects or different things outside of their normal responsibilities. So I think by bringing in a little bit about that, it's going to keep it fresh. Um, still, you get some, I'd bring in some more competition and games on, on top of your schedule and then vary up some of those games as a way to kind of keep it fresh and, and don't get stale. But I think in general, Jays are going to be more productive with a, a pretty routine schedule. The challenge is, is if you're getting into a comfort zone with that, you might want to kind of up the ante a little bit or add a little variety just to kind of keep it fresh. But uh, no, I don't mind staying pretty, pretty consistent. I just add, like I said, 10 to 20 percent of your time as as some creative aspect, let's say. Off yeah, your I, I totally agree, too. Um, you know, and that's that's just kind of tying that all back in it's it's putting yourself in a situation where you have hard challenges and you have to learn from it. Um, in terms of the repetitive stuff with technique, you know, making sure you're drilling the same things and you're building confidence in your move and you're not tinkering there. That stuff's all great. Um, you can change up the games. Like John said, you can change the goals. You can get on the course one day, but essentially that regimented daily, like I'm checking my setup, I'm checking my grip, I'm doing my swing stations um, that stuff's all good because you're just going to build a lot of um, repeatability and confidence in that, but definitely got to make sure you keep doing this, doing the challenges. I use a lot of the same, same games and challenges over and over with players. And um, I mean, it's still fun because I just keep up in the goal where they have a hard time accomplishing it. Cause when you don't accomplish it, or if you don't f- finish your exit drill, why, what did we learn from it? Why did I not finish it? Again, is that the contacts off the spin controls off, you know, you just kind of go down that line of questioning instead of the, oh, I just didn't do it. You yeah, know, and I'd we- also add in going in through your, your mental checks too, because mm-hmm. there's going to be a mental component on why the performance isn't there. Uh, everything starts in our brain. So if we're getting to target side through that exit drill, cortisol secretion and then there's a lockup of our motor cortex to some degree that could be a thing throwing things off as well so having that reflection time um would be really good there too okay and and that's where uh like journaling and 
just kind of writing things down, taking notes periodically come, comes in. hundred percent. Yeah. In, in fact, if you could build some of that into your practice after your circuits, let's say, or these, these drills, that's some of the best things you can do for retaining information. If you're struggling, write down some of the things that were going on. Did you notice target side thinking? Did you notice things in your swing? Uh, reflect on the good things. You know, Jack Nicholas talked a lot about the reflection time is some of his most important time in his practice. And he was an ISTJ. Um, so they did a study. I'll just kind of wrap it up with this, but they had people hitting unlimited balls on the range for an hour. They put one group into hitting uh, balls for 15 minutes, stopping for 15 minutes to reflect and then do that for the hour. And then they had people hitting balls for um, I want to say five minutes reflect and so on like that. The reflection groups actually had the biggest gains. Um, they took time to work on something. They took time to process it. And that time in between shots or in between training circuits were where they said a lot of the growth was made as far as the processing what took place. So I would make sure that add the journaling in, in the reflection period. And last thing I'd say with your schedule, um, if you're, if we're getting to a place where we're not seeing the retention, it's probably a time to change it. Otherwise, just keep jacking up the challenge. If you can't do the challenge uh, three times, it's too hard, like three out of 10. If you're able to do it easily, consistently, seven out of 10 or better, it's starting to get too easy. And so you want to try to find that barometer where you're, it, it takes work to get to that seven out of 10 and, and up at your challenges like that. And as long as those are in place and uh, that practice schedule seems pretty solid, I would think. Okay, great. Well, Sam, we got to wrap it up, but uh, we appreciate you coming on. It's a great conversation. Hopefully it was helpful to you um, and we're rooting for you. We hope you keep in touch and let us know of all your successes. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Very helpful. Absolutely. It was great having you. Send my best to everybody at uh, Bender Academy. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sam. Have a great day. <laughs> Thank Well, it was great having Sam on and talking to him about where he's at with his game. And, you know, this is a fun episode to dive into the practice side of it, especially because even at that level, it can be misunderstood uh, of exactly what it takes and having a clear path. So, you know, we have put together what we believe is one of the best programs out there, especially because it tackles your mental golf type in terms of the practice. Um, it's such a great system called the Practice of Great Practice. You can find that at our website, mentalgolftype.com, if you are interested in having a true blueprint to high-level practice of what to do every time. Practice plans done for you right on there, but understanding the structure of what that takes, um, that's on our website. Again, make sure to take that free assessment on our website, mentalgolftype.com, if you haven't yet. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, dive into your game. We have a request form on there as well under the podcast tab. So make sure to check out the site. Thank you again for following the Go Low Show. We really appreciate you. We'll see you in the next episode.